Hello, everyone. This is Two Cents Worth. I'm your host, Ryan DeFaber. This show, we talk about sports, fitness, and life. We talk about my life. We talk about my fitness journey. And we talk about my life in sports and my opinions on all those things. So sit back and relax and enjoy the show. So today we're going to talk about not sports, not fitness, but what I just went through, and that is traveling internationally during 2020 and COVID. So uh, just recently went on a trip to the island of Turks and Caicos, the islands of Turks and Caicos, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about you know everything that goes into that. All the added things that have um, been put in place, um, the extra documentation, the steps that airlines, excuse me, and airports have made to um, make you as a traveler feel as safe as possible, and uh, also talk about what I think might stay in place once we do come out of the COVID world and what might go, um, as well as my final thoughts and would I travel again during a pandemic and try travel internationally during pandemic and would I do it with kids. So that's what we did. We had a family vacation. We took the kids and we went for four nights, five days. And there are definitely, um, road bumps, and other things that have come up since the last time I've traveled internationally. So last year, went to the Dominican Republic. Wasn't really anything out of the ordinary. It was just normal travel. What do you need? A passport. What do you fill out on a plane? One document for customs, basically about what you're doing there, where are you staying, are you declaring anything, and that's about it. Um... That has definitely changed. So, you know, the first suggestion I have is if you are thinking about traveling internationally, pre-plan. And what I mean by pre-plan is really sit down and see, okay, where do I want to go? Right? First off, where do you want to go? Have a few locations because not everybody, not every country right now is letting in Americans or letting in other people from other countries, just depending on what they're um, rules and regulations are right now in, in regards for their government. Will you feel safe if you're planning on going to that place? And what are their requirements <clears throat> in regards to getting into the country? So um, for Turks and Caicos, they required us to have a negative COVID test. It had to have been done no later than five days before our travel. And it had to be a PCR test, not a rapid test. So, and it had to be from an accredited lab that they um, approved. Okay, so that's the f- first 
thing, right, is seeing what do they need, right? So from those negative COVID tests, you then have to go on to their uh, government site, tourism site, upload all of your information. You also needed additional um, insurance to cover any medevac off of the island um, in case you did get COVID while on the island or were exposed or anything like that. So you had to get additional insurance, which really for five days for full family and the full coverage was only $25. So it's not that much to have that additional insurance, but it's still an extra step that you need to make sure of. And you have to get it from an insurance company that the country also approves of. So we had to do that. We had to look at that. So thankfully, Turks and Caicos did a pretty good job. Their site was pretty easy to navigate. You could see, you know, what you needed, when you needed to get these items. And then from there, you have your negative COVID test. You have your additional health care insurance. Then it was you need to go on their site and basically fill out all that documentation, upload all that documentation, who you are, all your information, who are you traveling with, what's your airline, all of these things. From there, a government agent will actually look at your application and then provide you with approval, which you then have to print out or have an electronic copy of. My suggestion, again, if you are planning on going to travel, yes, it is nice to have things on our phone. We're so used to everything being on our smartphone. My suggestion would be, to print out your documents. It is always a good thing to at least have that on hand and to keep it organized because there are so many documents that you potentially might need or actually do need. Um, And especially when you're traveling with more than yourself. So it was myself, my wife, my two kids. So four family members together ended up being about, you have to have an application for each family member. So that was four pages of documents, just application upon application for each one of us. Two negative COVID tests, because in Turks and Caicos, now this is different for each country as well. Children under 10 did not need a COVID test. Now, there are other countries that say children under 10, yes, they do need a COVID test, but a child under 5 does not need a COVID test. So again, understanding all the rules and regulations of what you need is extremely important. So I had those two negative COVID test results from an accredited lab that we got back, thankfully in time. Of course, we travel the week that it's Thanksgiving. Labs, obviously, right now are working seven days a week, which is great, but there could have been a delay in regards to a holiday, and our travel date was a Friday, and we had to get it no later than five days before. Five days before our travel is Sunday, so we had to go get tested on a Sunday. So again, finding a test facility that was available on a Sunday. Um, if you live in the United States, CVS will do that for you, which is very nice. That worked out great. Urgent cares as well, just depending on where you live, they also have um, COVID tests that we are aware of. We just weren't sure on how quickly we would get our results back. So we went with CVS because they were saying two to three days, two to four days to get um, <clears throat> your results back. So making sure that that's all there, right? So four documents for the approvals to enter the country. Extremely important. That that was even what the ticket counter lady in Charlotte at American told us. She said that is your most important document to get into the country right there is your approval because it obviously you got approved because you uploaded the negative COVID test, you uploaded your health insurance, you uploaded all the information around who was traveling, where you're staying, all that stuff. So that's the most important thing for, for this 
in a particular country. The two COVID tests. Now, the additional health insurance, when you print it out, it was a cover letter. It was your health care cards and a summary of your benefits. That ended up being four more pages worth of documents that we brought. So now we're up to 10 pages of documents. Now, it doesn't seem like it's a lot, but it, it you need to make sure that you have that information and, and it is organized because different times during our travel, they ask for different documents and certain documents. And if it's not organized and they're all over the place, obviously you want to make sure that you're getting through uh, each step as quickly as possible and that you have the information there. So in Charlotte, when you're checking in for American, all they wanted was the authorization that you could enter Turks, which means they will let you on their plane. Once we landed in Turks, we needed the authorizations as well as the negative COVID tests to show the first person in customs. The second person in customs, now this is also something new. When we got on the plane in Charlotte, Turks required not only a form of what you're declaring, if you are declaring anything, but you still need to fill it out, your customs form, but they also required each individual fill out a form for, in regards to purpose of the visit, have you had COVID, have you gotten tested for it, if you did have it, when did you get tested, all these things, right? So that was one form. And then another form, and now of course I can't remember it, but basically I had to fill out two forms for each person. So there's another eight forms on the plane. <clears throat> and then the declarations, the the normal one that you fill out regardless of where you go. So there's an additional nine documents that I also had to then give to after I got past the first um, re- person agent in customs in Turks and Caicos. Then we actually had to go to the customs agent checking your passports. And I'll get to the passports here in a second because I have a story about that. If you're also thinking about traveling and you need to update your passport or get a passport for your child, be prepared. It takes a very long time, and you might have to utilize people that you didn't even know can help you in that situation. I'll get to that as well as we as we move on. So we go through that first one. Now we're at a customs agent. She takes eight of the nine documents, including our passports. Then it is, okay, we get our luggage. We finally have to go to the last agent to give our declaration of, you know, are we bringing anything into the country, et cetera, et cetera. No, you're not. Great. Boom. Sign the back of it. Date it. You're good to go. So in the U.S., it was authorization. Okay. And that's when you're checking in. So you in for this flight, you couldn't even check in online. You have to go up to the service desk because they need to see that authorization form. You cannot just check in online. So there was no mobile check-in or anything. So you be prepared, depending on when you go and how busy the airport that you live in might be, be prepared that you might have to um, stand in customer service line and check in manually. Um, so so there's that. So then we got through security in Charlotte. We get to the gate. No issues there. Boom. On uh, boarding passes, get on the flight. Land in Turks, go through three different people. Oh, and I also, <laughs> when you get off the plane, before you even sit and get in front of the first person, they have... Um, temperature gauges. So you have to stand in front of a screen, 
get your forehead within there. It takes your temperature, lets you know that you're clear, and every family member has to do that. Then you actually can go and see your first agent, all while wearing a mask the entire time. The minute you stepped in the airport in Charlotte or wherever you live to getting out of the airport to your rental car or wherever, <clears throat> excuse me, or even your house if you're taking a taxi, that be prepared to wear a mask. Um, and traveling with children, sometimes that can be difficult. Thankfully, right now, my child, my oldest child, has to wear a mask all day long in school, so he's he's used to that. But the youngest in his preschool, it is you walk in, you, you can take, after you get to your classroom, you can take it off. No issue, right? So he hasn't had to wear it all day, but they did great, which was really appreciative. Now for myself as well, that's the first time I've had to wear a mask that long, right? So I'm working from home for the last seven months, eight months now at this point, maybe even nine months. I'm just losing track. Um, So I haven't had to wear a mask outside of just going into certain places, grocery stores, gas stations, restaurants, etc. But not for that extended period of time. So, you know, all of these things of pre-planning and getting prepared of what you should expect, that all goes into it. Now, let me go back to the whole passport situation. So right now, in the United States, they are telling you that passports are going to take anywhere from 9 to 12 weeks from when you actually go and have your visit and fill out your application and go through all of that to actually receiving your passport. Now, you can pay to expedite it, which also makes it then four to six weeks once they've received it. Now, what you have to do is either say, yeah, I want to expedite it out the gate when you're there, or you can go to travel.state.gov or whatever it is, and basically the State Department for the United States, and you can type in all your information, and they'll tell you if they've received it or not, and then if you want to expedite it, you have to call. <clears throat> Goodness, I got something in my throat today. Call, and from there it is... Um, four to six weeks, but you have to pay. So again, be prepared for extra costs, budgeting, understanding everything that goes into that, right? A COVID test for travel here in North Carolina might be different, but a COVID test for travel was $140 a person. So there's an additional $280 that you might not understand that you have to budget for because you hear all the time, well, your healthcare will cover the COVID test and all that, but if you don't have any symptoms and you're just going for travel, CVS will charge you $140 a test. So there was $280 a test, right? My children didn't have passports. We thought we had given ourselves quite a bit of time. We went nine weeks before our travel to get their passports. A lady at the post office said that should be enough time. Go through the process. Finally, a month into um, the state receiving the passport, I, I go and see that nothing's really changed. So I call, and they said, yep, we received it, but no guarantee that anyone's even looked at it or worked on it. Now, you can you can pay to expedite it, and so that's what I did. So that was an additional $60 a person. So there's another $120 that I did not originally think I had to budget. Got my youngest sons a week and a half later, which, again— I'm not going to go too much into government agencies, but pretty hilarious that um, it sits on someone's desk or in someone's file for a month. I call, give them a little extra cash, all of a sudden it shows up a week and a half later. Now, the oldest son, 
one of his documents was wrong that we had to fill out. So they said, all right, well, it, <clears throat> you're going to receive a letter from the actual agency that is working on it. So the, you, you call the State Department, but another agency actually also works, will actually work and print your passport. So again, it's it's more of like you're calling the State Department, but they're more of a middleman in this situation, which kind of is annoying because you don't get a lot of answers from them. And most everything is, oh, we hate it, but, you know, COVID's really um, hurt us. Not everyone's working, so we can't, you know, we we hope that you can get all your information, but there's no guarantee. That was what I was told after I already paid to uh, expedite it. I called two weeks later because I'm like, well, I, I got my youngest sons. I didn't get my oldest sons. You know what's going on? They're like, oh, well, you need additional documentation. We'll send you the letter that you need to fill out, blah, 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 blah. But no guarantee you're going to get it by the time you need to travel. This was beginning of November. So a week goes by. I'm like, all right. You know, we got the letter. I sent all the information back. So I call, we get the letter on November 3rd, I send it back, they receive it on November 6th, I call them on November, maybe even 14th, 13th, somewhere in there, they said, yep, we received it on the 9th, no guarantee anyone's ever even worked on it, alright, so that was one agent. So I wait another couple more days, nothing's changed, nothing's changed, I keep on looking at his application, still in process, still in process. <clears throat> and um, call again. Yep, no guarantee. Nothing's changed. Nothing we can really do. Sorry, we hate that for you. But, you know, yeah, it they shows that they received it on the 9th, but no one's worked on it. I'm like, okay. So, you know, we were traveling with friends, and I tell my friends this. And I'm like, hey, you know, right now, we, we might have to bail on this trip because the trip's on the 27th. We don't have an answer. We're 10 days out. There's no guarantee we're going to get it by the 27th is what they keep on telling us. So, you know, we might be at this point right now to where we're going to have to cancel this trip. Our side. They could still go, obviously, if they they wanted to. Um, finally, uh, my friend's father um, said, you know, hey, here's an idea. Why don't you call the local senator's office and see if they can help you? They, they, they'll help you get a passport expedited. And I'm like, all right, at this point, I'm like, I've never even heard of that. But at this point, I guess I'll, I'll take a look at it. Cause you know, there's nothing, I've, I've done everything else that I think I can do. Lo and behold, <laughs> if you were not aware of this and from everybody that I've talked to and, um, and, and around me, no one really even knew this was something that senators do. But if you Google, will my local senator help expedite a passport? It'll pop up for every local senator that you have in your state. That they will. So I go on their site. I find the number for the office here in Charlotte. I call the Charlotte office, and it was as if it was just the slightest inconvenience whatsoever. Oh, thank you, sir, for calling. Yes, absolutely, we do that. All we have to, all we ask is that you fill out this form that we send you. Okay, it's the Privacy Act of 1974. Basically, you know, talking about the information I'm going to put on there. Looking for my sons. Here's his application. Blah blah blah. This is at 10.30 in the morning. At 12 o'clock noon, so an hour and a half later, I get an email back from the senator's office saying, we've spoken to the passport agency. Here is their phone number. As for this person, they're prepared to take your credit card, basically, so you can pay to have your passport overnighted. 
Now, mind you, let's go back to the letter I received from the passport agency, not the State Department, the passport agency stating, hey, this is the document that you're missing for your oldest son's application. Please send it back to this address and we'll continue the process. No phone number, nothing. You call the State Department, you sit on hold, customer service, whatever. Within an hour and a half of talking to the senator's office and filling out a form, I have a phone number and a name of a lady from the passport agency. I call. The phone doesn't even ring one time. She answers immediately. I said, yeah, this is Ryan DeFaber. I'm calling in regards to my son's pet. Mr. DeFaber, I've been waiting for your phone call. Do you have your credit card ready? I'm like, here we go. So I give her a credit card. Again, an unexpected budget item. It was only $17 to have it overnighted, but quite interesting that... An hour and a half later, they hadn't worked on this. Now, mind you, this is now eight days before we're supposed to leave. Maybe nine days before we're supposed to leave. It's the Wednesday before, so a little more than that. So, uh, yeah, nine days. Nine days before we're supposed to leave. I'm talking to this individual. Nice lady. I'm not, I'm not, it's not on her. Talk to her, give her my credit card information. Okay, you know, we'll, we'll let you know, um, you know, when the passport's been printed and processed. Um, you know, again, it, it, it could be a couple more days. Like, that's fine. I paid for the overnight, so it'll show up the next morning. Even if it, even if it ships next Tuesday, I'll get it Wednesday. Thursday was the holiday. That's no big deal. Okay, geez, I have till next Tuesday. So I'm still thinking, like, man, I might still have to cancel my trip. You know, whatever's going to come of this. Five o'clock in the afternoon that day, I get a notification from the State Department that my son's passport has been printed and is currently being overnighted. The next day, I had passport in hand by noon. So in a little over 24 hours, I went from talking to a senator's office to having my son's passport in hand. Meanwhile, I'm doing everything else that a, a normal citizen thought that they could do in, in, in regards to getting a passport, and that was pay to get it expedited, have all your documents in place, wait, call, sit on hold, talk to individuals that don't even work for the actual agency that prints your passports, hope that you can get it, sit, call, okay, I'm not getting it, oh man, I might have to, I cancel my travel, call them, they keep on telling you, okay, we'll, we'll put it in your profile that, you know, you've called again and that your travel is on the 27th and da da da, da. 24 hours, call the senator's office, fill out a form, Passport in hand, an extra $17. So again, just another step, but also, and I say all that, it's because of understand or try and understand and try and do as much homework as possible when you're planning a trip, especially when, again, I didn't have passports for my kids. If, the, if you have all your passports, you don't need to worry about that. Now, if you're, ever, if you're traveling again and you might need to renew or whatever and we're still in some type of issue or understaffed or whatever it might be, pandemic, all these things, understand that senators and the government actually do work for you as a, as, as a citizen and not the other way around. We do not work for them. They work for us, right? They are voted in individuals to work for us as individuals of the state. Utilize them. Go on their website and see what they can help you out with. And it was quite interesting. I thought it was hilarious. But once again, an extra couple bucks and all of a sudden my passport, my son's passport's there where, you know, a day before being told basically, hey, bud, hate to tell you, but you might be shit out of luck. You might have to cancel your trip. Hate to tell you that, but there's nothing we can really do. Boom, get a senator's office involved. All of a sudden it's sitting there in your mailbox. 
and everyone's, you know, fat and happy and their wallets keep on getting fatter. But utilize all of the avenues you can to make sure that you are getting what you need done to have a seamless travel day. That is what you want when you're traveling right now in a pandemic and traveling internationally. Make sure you have your documentation correct. Make sure you have used everything that you can to make for that that day to be fully functional and seamless as best as you possibly can, right? So know all of the options and how to get your items in a timely manner. And so you are prepared and you don't butt up right to that day and you're still trying to put things together. That is the worst feeling, um, especially for myself. You know, I'm, I'm someone that likes to stay very well organized and, and have all of that stuff together and, and before I even travel. So you know, we had to do all of that. Um, so understand that when you are picking a location, what does it entail and what do I need? And do I have all of the documentations that they are asking for? Because I brought more than I needed, but I'd rather have more than not enough and be stuck at an airport talking to agents, trying to get a, my phone to work in a foreign country, right? So that's another thing, making sure that you've updated your your cell phone plan if you need to, depending on what country you're traveling to. Make sure your credit cards are updated so you know the credit card companies know where you're traveling so they don't see a random charge from a country and decline it when you're trying to get, you know, your rental car or groceries or anything else like that. So having all of these things in place, pre-plan as much as you possibly can and understand all the steps needed for you to have an enjoyable and safe trip. Okay, so I've talked about the pre-planning. I've talked about countries' requirements. I've talked about timing for all of your requirements, organizing all your documents, making sure you're printing them, knowing all the options on how to get all of these items, utilizing <laughs> government officials, utilizing senators, people that you voted in. Imagine that. They actually work for you. Couldn't believe it. I sit here quite a bit, and if you know me, I'm not the biggest fan of the government and the way that our government runs and the way that our, um, you know, men and women in Congress and Senate are able to have jobs there for 40 to 50 years without term limits. And But hey, at the end of all of it, I lucked out and, and they worked for me for at least one day instead of the other way around is how I felt, where, where we work for them, which is not the way that it was supposed to be set up. But hey, that's for another discussion. Now, air travel and the new guidelines and what I've seen in regards to at least the planes that we flew on and, and, the, and the company that we used to fly, which was American, um, the upgrades that they have made in regards to cleanliness and safety, right? So obviously the airline industry took has taken a hit this year, just like a lot of industries have. Um, I think they're bouncing back a lot faster than some because as far as I've seen, People are still traveling. I see planes fly over my house quite a bit, even through the summer and all this stuff. So people have been traveling. Traveling internationally has obviously been a little different, but <clears throat> as more countries open their borders back up again, you can, um, and resorts and houses and companies and whatever it might be, opening back up to allow visitors in, you know, you can get on airplanes. Um, we flew American, and with American... Obviously, you have to wear a mask the entire time. Again, I mentioned that you have to wear a mask in the airport, on the plane, 
Only time you can take it down is if you're eating or um, drinking. One thing that we got on the way down that we didn't get on our two flights home was they did actually give us a bag that had a small water and some snacks in it. They did give us that. Um, it's not, there's no service right now. So there's no alcohol for purchase and no food for purchase um, or drinks. They don't do the drink card anymore. It's basically, they just hand you a bag that has a small water in it and the Biscoff cookies um, that were in there. Uh, so, you know, we did have that, but that was something different as well. So, so a new step that they've, they've created. Um, the one thing that I did see that I do hope that they keep, you know, if, and when we get out of this, um, is the, the, the steps that they've taken to keep the airplane clean. Um, (laughs) if you ever traveled before, uh, you'd, you'd get on a plane that might've arrived from somewhere else. And there's sometimes you'd walk in and there's still trash in your seat, or you could tell it's still dirty or, or you just, you look around when you're on a plane and you see some other people that don't have the same, uh, hygiene that you might have as an individual. And you sit there and go, I am sitting right now in a Petri dish and the air just circulates as long as I'm in the air and on this plane over and over and over again. And, you know, people are, you know, let's let's be blunt here. A lot of people are disgusting, okay? I mean, that's just what they are. So what American has done on their planes is actually really nice. They have a video about it, too, uh, in the beginning, an announcement in the beginning, so you understand what they've done, um, which is good. So, again, face coverings, you have to have those. The food and drink service, it is limited. Like like I mentioned, on some flights, the snack bars are available. Um, but you're welcome to bring your own snacks on, just like you've always been able to. Hand sanitizer is available on all flights. They now treat their planes with, and I'm on their website right now, so I'm going to read this off to you. Sustained surface protection. So we treat our planes with SurfaceWise 2, a breakthrough coating that provides enhanced protection by sustained killing of 99.9% of viruses, including coronaviruses, on surfaces. And it says we'll continue this treatment across our fleet in the coming months. What I hope is that they just continue it in general. Again, I don't know about that added cost. That's something I do have to understand and, and, and process as well as how much additional cost does this take. And again, if we're out of this and we have a vaccine, some of this stuff will go away. So seeing that, that might go away. But hand sanitizer available on all flights, I don't think that'll go away. I think that's just something that you should have in, in general, right? I mean, it's you're touching surfaces and other things like that that hundreds of other people, thousands of other people have touched throughout the day or week that might not have been cleaned. The air filtration, this was one that I, I did see and, and um, they talked about in the video, and I think it's something that obviously should stay for the fact that they've installed all these in their fleet. But it says, air filtration, similar to hospital standards, HEPA filters on all main aircraft and most, so not all of them, so most regional jets refresh the cabin air every two to four minutes. So again, if you're someone that is concerned, you know, is it going to be safe? Is it going to be clean? That is something that I don't know 
has really been something that they've really put into place up until now is the fact that they are refreshing that cabin air every two to four minutes rather than just recirculating the air that you've had and they had on the flight before and now you have on this flight with all these new people that you're sitting around and not seeing it. You don't know who they are and all this stuff. So again, if it's a little fearsome for you, to go and travel, understand that these steps are now in place and that should help you a little bit clear your mind that, you know, air is being refreshed. So it isn't as much of a Petri dish as it once was. So again, if you weren't fearful of flying before, just understand the the air was gross and the people are gross. So you should have had a, a, a fear of people's health standards beforehand, before this coronavirus, before, you know, just think about that before you sit there and go, oh, I'm, I'm afraid because the planes aren't clean. Listen, the planes weren't really that clean beforehand. I can promise you that. I've traveled quite a bit. I had to travel quite a bit for work up until the last 10 months when I've been sitting at home. And a lot of these planes are pretty disgusting. Now, American does a pretty good job of keeping them clean, but not all the time, right? Here's the other thing. High touch in public areas. Deep cleaning of tray tables. Seatbelt buckles. Arm seats, window shades, seatback screens, doors, and overhand bin handles are cleaned in between every flight. That is something they didn't used to do. So think about everything that you're basically touching or and or your kids are touching. They are um, cleaning all of those in between flights. The final thing is they have a GBAC star accreditation. A credit, they are seeking a GBAC star accreditation from the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council, so GBAC, to ensure we have the proper procedures to respond to biological threats like COVID-19. So again, they have gone all these extra steps to make sure that people are coming back to their flight, coming back to their airplanes, are ready to travel again, and they've done all these additional steps. I think some of them will stay in place uh, as we come out of this, and I think some of them will go away. Like I mentioned, you know, the the one where the surface wise two is um, is put in, in on. I think it says they treat them here. It's actually up here. Uh, it's a break. Surface wise two is a breakthrough coating that provides enhanced protection by sustained killing of the viruses. Da da da. We rolled this rolled out this treatment across our fleet. High touch in public areas like okay. Uh, oh, here's their planes receive an electrostatic spraying once a week with an EPA approved disinfectant. So that's also a, another step. I think that's something that probably will go away. They'll do the cleanings, you know, a, once a week, but I don't know if they're going to do the electrostatic spraying once a week with the EPA approved disinfectant. I don't know if that's going to stay, but I could see certain things staying, you know, the, the hand sanitizer and the HEPA filters, I think are something that they certainly should have in place, um, in general, because traveling is gross. You know, again, people are gross. Planes are gross. Kids are gross. You know, everyone's touching the, everything. It, it, sometimes it can be a little gross. Let's just call it what it is, right? I mean, traveling should be fun. You know, airplanes and getting in flights and going new places should be fun. But, you know, sometimes it can be gross. So it is what it is, right? So, but I think some of these things will will go and and some of them will stay. You know, one thing that I did like when I did arrive in Turks was the fact that they had the screens where your temperature could be taken. And if it does, 
it tells you immediately, you know, you're clear or not. If you're not clear, you have to go and talk to an additional health inspector to, you know, talk about some symptoms or whatever if you have a fever. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the only thing that I wish might have happened was before I got on that airplane with all the other individuals. Yes, they tested negative for COVID, but it would have been nice if that was in the Charlotte airport rather than the airport that I arrive in the country and that, oh, now you have a fever. Well, obviously, probably had the fever before in Charlotte, but now I got on a plane with, you know, X amount of people for three plus hours. That could have been avoided. But, you know, having the temperature gauges to, to make sure that people aren't sick getting on planes, because that is another thing. Like I've said, people are gross, you know? And and look, a common cold, it's common cold. I don't care about sitting next to someone that has, with a common cold. That doesn't bother me, but people with like flu-like symptoms or anything like that, what are you traveling for? You shouldn't be traveling to begin with, you know, and so some of those measures might stay in place. It, it, it is very interesting when you think about all of the stuff that's gone in into play over the last 10 months now in the United States in regards to you know, the extra precautions and extra measures, you know, everyone's behind the pla- the, the plexiglass screens, you know, is that something that'll stay? I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, obviously, particles from people's mouths and noses, they do spray and, and spread. And if that is just a basic sanitary um, thing to have in place, I, I'm all for it staying. That doesn't really bother me. You know, restaurants, the same type of thing, any, anything like that. That doesn't bother me if that stays. Um, and it's already in play, so it's not like you, you're. It's an additional cost that you're constantly incurring. That that's there. You know, grocery stores the same way. So, I think there's going to be quite a bit of stuff that will stick around and stay, and and, and some of the stuff that'll go. But the um, the fever stuff was, or the temperature um, gauge was was nice to have and see because you know obviously if you don't pass that step, you get you get escorted out of line immediately. Which is nice, too. Nobody did that, which was also nice to see. No one on our flight or anywhere that I saw around when I was going through customs um, had that. So it wasn't, um, you know, never never felt unsafe on the plane. It was nice to, to see that video. I thought that was important to kind of talk about uh, on here is, you know, the extra steps that airlines are taking and and, and the airports and, and the places you might be traveling. Um and then, you know, again, if you're fearsome or you just want to, you know, finding somewhere that you want to stay, you know, put that in part of your pre-planning as well as, you know, do I want to stay somewhere that's secluded or do I want to stay somewhere that is crowded because I, I would like to be around other people or I really want to go and see that resort or I really want to be on part of that part of the country or city or wherever you might be going, right? So again, understanding and planning where you would like to stay. We stayed in a house that was on a very quiet part of the island, away from a lot of the crowds. And again, I was not fearful of any of the crowds by any means. I would have stayed in a more populated area, but it was also actually kind of nice because you had the kids, you could be a little louder, and you had, you know, your own little area to yourself we stayed in our own private house and the beach that we were at didn't really have any, a lot of other people staying at it either so it wasn't that crowded so the kids could come in you know and you can watch them and and make sure that they're not getting themselves in trouble so that was nice as well but you know planning on where you want to stay you know what what is your level of comfort really um when it comes to traveling right now and um you know my my final thoughts on all of it was 
you know, as we came home, we got on two different flights. We flew into Miami. That airport was bustling. It was busy. That was good to see. It's a very big airport. Um, and then flying home from there to Charlotte, you know, the the one thing, it's the good and the bad, right? The nice thing was most of our flights, flight from Miami to, or Turks and Caicos to Miami was the most crowded flight we had. But the flight from Charlotte to Turks, not very full. Flight from uh, uh, Turks to Miami, um, because basically that was where everyone was connecting th- through, no matter where you were going back in the U.S. But um, that was decently full, but still not full at all. I had an entire row to myself. My family had our, we had the three seats on the one side and and the three seats on the other side. We had an entire row to ourselves. Um, and then the flight home from Miami to Charlotte, we were basically one of maybe 30 people on that flight. And, you know, I will say that, you know, countries like Turks and Caicos and, and, and travel and, and companies like American, um, I, you know, I don't want to say, oh, they need your money, but, you know, it is safe to travel. You, you have to think of all the steps that have been put into place, everything that you need, right? You need a negative COVID test. This is to enter the country, a negative COVID test, all these additional steps, authorization to enter, you know, and you knew that everyone around you had to have the same thing. You know, and, and countries like Turks and Caicos that do rely on tourism a lot, you, you know, if you don't go, you know, a lot of these things won't exist when we hopefully get out of this, right? If you're not going. And my advice and my final thoughts on all of this is that it was nice to have airplanes that weren't packed, but it was also kind of sad because it was like, man, though you you look around and you see that people are traveling, and we were traveling during a busy week, right? It was the week of Thanksgiving and right after Thanksgiving. But, you know, the planes are still empty. Um and there's costs that are involved in that. And there's people's jobs at risk that are a part of that, right? That if we don't continue to fill these planes and we don't travel, you know, those people will lose their jobs. You don't go to these countries, you know, these resorts, these restaurants, these, you know, adventures, you know, kayaking, four-wheeling, all that stuff that you might want to do, ziplining, those things might not exist because the countries are hit so hard because you don't have, you know, what you, because um, they, they, they lost so much money in the industry. Uh, so... My hope is that people do start traveling again, that restrictions do, again, I've talked about this a couple podcasts ago, that we continue to make progress and we don't regress. And I know everyone's worried about winter, but, you know, I never felt unsafe. We did everything that we could. We had a great time. I never felt unsafe on the island. Um, We went places, grocery stores, you know, restaurants, never felt unsafe in any of those areas. The airports never felt unsafe. Um, If you can travel now, I would suggest traveling. Um, If you want to travel internationally, I would suggest that as well and and help that country out with any tourism money that they can get. Um, And also at the same time, you probably can get some pretty good deals right now because they want you and need you to travel. So this... Though though wearing the mask was miserable, right? From uh, on the trip home, we it was basically from two p.m. until midnight. Um, and again, I'm talking from someone that hasn't had to wear the mask more than you know a half hour in the grocery store or whatever it might be. So I'm doing this now eight hours. 
10 hours. That's a long time to be wearing a mask. It's, it's uncomfortable, you know, and if you got bad breath, let me tell you something, you can smell it, right? So, um, you know, I think that was the biggest inconvenience of all of it was the mask. And I hate to say that because I know people will be like, oh, it's not an inconvenience. You're saving people's lives, blah, blah, blah. That's not the point I'm making here. It's just if you're worried about the fear, you're worried about, oh, the inconveniences, all of it, the biggest inconvenience was wearing the mask. Yes, all that pre-stuff sucked. You know, getting on the phone with the senator's office, calling the State Department constantly, making sure our documents were together, paying that extra money. At the end of it, it was a great trip. It was fun. I was never in fear. My family was never in fear. The kids had a great time. So would I do it again? Yes. Would I travel with kids internationally again? I would say if it's a close flight. I don't know <laughs> at this point in time of their age if I really want to deal with that. If we're, Again, if we're going in, in, in at this point in time, if I was to do it again this week, would I go internationally somewhere that was longer than three to four hours away on a plane? <sighs> I lucked out. My kids were great. I can't guarantee that they're going to be great the next time. So I don't know if I would do it with kids again. Um, and the fact that, you know, taking them out of school and all those other things that come into, into play, you know, we're there. And, and now, you know, we're doing our due diligence for those around us and, and keeping our kids out of school for this week and, and into next week as well to make sure that they don't have any symptoms or anything like that. But again, we all had to test negative to get on the plane. There are minimum cases in the country, so, you know, the odds of a person being back on your plane home from the island was low as well of having, you know, the virus. So, you know, there's only so much you can do. You need to still continue to live your life. So, um, yes, I would do it again. And would I do it with kids? I would say right now I'd be a 70%. 70% yes, I would do it with my kids again. 30% I would say no, I'd rather just do it with my spouse or a friend or whatever. But uh, traveling internationally with COVID, I would suggest it. I would pre-plan. I would make sure you understand everything that you need. And I would say have a great time because it was fun. And I would certainly do it again. I hope this was informal or in informational. Um, informative. That's the word I was looking for. I think. hope this was informative. It was a little something different than the normal, you know, sports and fitness and how my life interacts with all that stuff. Uh, but this was something that I did um, last couple of days, and I thought it was a interesting topic to talk about because you know people are traveling again and traveling internationally again, and this is all the stuff that I dealt with and and went through and enjoyed and learned, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again. Bye.